Welcome to Mind Love, episode 237. Today's episode is all about unlocking your natural ability to learn and remember anything. When you look at it a little bit differently and you see consciousness in a particular way, and this isn't totally true, but you can imagine something like not just the, not just the ocean, but the entire world is appearing inside of you and it is witnessed by something that is also inside of you. And the very notion of you is witnessed by something. And that thing that is witnessing never changes. It's always the same. You can't cut it. You can't burn it. You can't do anything to it. it it's just there. And it's always there. And it's the thing that is you while you're asleep. And if you can somehow get access to that, then you will become everything. Because that thing that witnesses everything it isn't witnessing it. It is it. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. It's a new day, a new episode, and a new opportunity to subscribe to the podcast. If you're listening for the first time, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you always know about new episodes. Plus, it makes you one of my favorite people. Because the more subscribers I have, the more I attract amazing guests to help better serve you. So don't forget to subscribe. Today, I would love to share a review from Bassacistic, who says, Mind Love is a great show. It covers a diversity of topics that matter for everyone interested in an elevated and peaceful state of mind. I only discovered it recently, but the topics covered are done with precisely the nuance and care that we need in our time more than ever before. It's awesome. Thank you, thank you for leaving this review. You guys know that these totally light up my soul and I'm grateful for each and every one of them. So thank you so much. And now onto the show. How good is your memory? Can you meet a bunch of people at a party and remember most of their names? Can you read a book and recall all of the key points? If you learn something new, can your brain automatically recall associated information that you learned a month ago or a year ago? Growing up, I was always really proud of my memory. I could cram for a test and easily get an A. I rarely forgot a name. I could usually recall exactly what the page looked like that I learned something from. And if I learned something that sounded even slightly similar to something I had learned years before, all of the associations would flood to mind. That last one is still a strong suit and part of why I love hosting Mind Love. Sometimes I feel like I'm creating this mental map of truth, or at least understanding of how to navigate this crazy world. But some of those other tests of memory are slipping. I swear I almost black out whenever I hear a new name these days. Like I reached my cap of new people partying in Hollywood in my 20s. So now my brain's just like, abort, abort, whenever there's new <laughs> data input around names. And part of me has thought, eh, oh well. So I need to ask for a reminder here and there. But did you know that improving your memory also improves your mental well-being. Meaning studies have shown that intentionally enhancing your memory has shown to improve depression. What I find super interesting about this is that it's kind of a reverse type of therapy. And I'll tell you what I mean. So years ago, I learned that it's impossible to feel stressed if your whole body is relaxed. So say I'm really stressed about an upcoming speaking engagement. To get rid of the stress, You'd think I just need to get it over with. But here's the thing. Stress is held in the body and it causes muscle tension. So if I consciously body scan, releasing tension wherever it's held, the stress starts to melt away, even cognitive stress. It's almost like you can trick your body into forgetting that you're stressed. I do this whenever I'm feeling a big emotion. Like suddenly I'm irritated at my husband or something. <laughs> I can feel the tightness in my chest and the tunnel vision. So I focus on relieving those things, like expanding my gaze and taking some deep breaths. So it's like I'm consciously subsiding the individual symptoms of anger. And in turn, my actual anger starts to subside. 
Another example is that smiling has been shown to actually improve your mood. So it's kind of like working backwards. Well, back to memory. One of the symptoms of depression is poor memory recall. Well, instead of having to tackle everything in your life that may have led to depression, you can target one of the symptoms, which is memory recall, and improve that and then actually begin to feel better. And don't get me wrong, for a lot of people, depression's a little bit more complicated than just that, but it's something, and it's pretty cool, right? And whether or not you have depression, research shows that people who exercise their memories have a greater capacity for learning new things. So the question is, how do we consciously improve our memories? Well, that's what we're talking about today. And our guest is Anthony Mativier. He is the founder of the Magnetic Memory Method, a systematic 21st century approach to memorizing foreign languages, vocabulary, names, music, poetry, and so much more in ways that are easy, elegant, effective, and fun. So he's going to teach us simple techniques for memorizing the information that actually improves your daily life. Three key things we will learn are what the magnetic memory method is and how it works, how frustration hinders memory and how to release it, and how to create memories that stick, not just in your short-term memory, but for years and years to come. Do you love story-driven podcasts? I do, and there's a brand new one that I think you're going to love. It's called You Probably Think the Story's About You. The story just grabs you from the start. It all starts with Brittany, who thinks she's found her soulmate, only to find out things aren't as they seem. So she goes on a mission to find out the truth. And as she digs deeper, she realizes the guy's a master of deception. But here's the thing. As Brittany unravels his lies, she ends up on this journey of self-discovery. She starts to see how her own complicated past with addiction, sisterhood, and deep family bonds all have shaped her. And that's when it hits you. This story isn't really about him at all. It's about Brittany finding herself and learning who she really is. Trust me, you'll be hooked from episode one, wondering where Brittany's path will lead her next. It's a story that'll make you look at your own life and relationships in a whole new way. Seriously, grab your headphones and start from episode one of You Probably Think This Story's About You. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll come out feeling heard and stronger. Listen and follow You Probably Think This Story's About You wherever you listen to podcasts. And now let's welcome Anthony Mativier to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Melissa. So what inspired you to learn about and enhance your memory? Well, it wasn't inspiration, but rather desperation, I think. I had a very dark period during my graduate studies. Well, it hit a culmination point at uh, the PhD level, and I started to avoid life, and I discovered magic and in magic tricks, which I was using to you know, really delay all of the worries and concerns I had with exams and future payments on my student loans and so forth, I discovered the idea of memorizing a deck of cards. And I found that I could do it. And there was this strange uplifting of this depression I was in. And it just dawned on me at one point, wait a second, all of this strange French and Greek and Hebrew vocabulary that I needed to learn and strange philosophical concepts, I could just put them on playing cards and uh, memorize it in that same way. And so that's what I did. And I wound up being able to complete the program that I was in and get the PhD and the rest is history. <laughs> I am so intrigued by this because I read a lot and I this is the first time I'm hearing that enhancing your memory can also lift things like depression. I've definitely gone through my own dark periods as well. What is is there science behind this or was that just how it so happened with you and it aiding your depression? That's what I originally thought. I thought I'm just a lucky guy. But about a decade after I had been teaching this, I discovered research by a team that's headed by Dr. Tim Dalglish. And they have many, many uh, studies that they've put out. And he's not the only one, but he's the, the sort of head researcher that I've looked at. And they have done studies of using a particular technique I use called the memory palace for alleviating symptoms of PTSD, depression, and related issues. And time and time again, they find that people's moods lift. 
And what he's done, which I wish I would have known about sooner, is he's actually used this technique to have people, particularly with PTSD and depression, create a memory palace where they embed positive memories. And then when push comes to shove, they just simply use this tool to almost have a lift on demand. And so, again, it's all documented in the research. I've experienced it personally because once I learned that, I started using it myself and uh, have helped other people. And it's amazing. I mean, it's not like it's a magic bullet and it makes all your problems go away, but it does enhance your mood. And it's it's, it's just an amazing free little uh, boost, a natural drug, so to speak. And the important thing to understand is why it works, which is that these techniques seem to increase dopamine in the brain. And they also potentially uh, increase the level of something called, nor I think it's pronounced norepinephrine, which is involved in the formation of memory and also can make you feel better. And then there's things like myelin that wrap around the, the neuronal sheaths. I'm not a neuroscientist, but these are some words that I've memorized to, to just visualize in my own mind what's happening in the brain. And that just makes your brain you know, stronger and more robust for showing up to situations and it turns it into a habit as well that starts to happen to you as opposed to you having to trigger it every time. Kind of like the craving to go to the gym where you just have to do push-ups or you just have to lift weights. It's so counterintuitive to, I feel like the things that I've been taught, I know there's been times in my dark moments where I'm like, why does my memory have to be so good? It's like I remember <laughs> these dark times way too much or it's, or like these old hurtful memories are the things that are cycling in my mind. And then you have movies like, what is that Jim Carrey movie? Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, something on that line. Yeah, I think it has the word eternal in it. Yes, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind where he like can't get over a breakup or something like that. So he just has that part of his mind wiped. So what is it about enhancing your memory that also triggers dopamine? Ah, well, see, that's interesting you raise that because it's not clear to me that those things are purely memory issues or they are memory issues of a very special kind. So they, you know, involve some kind of trauma. They have emotions tied into them. They have perhaps something called primacy effect, which is that we remember the first thing or the biggest thing that happened to us. And that can get into a feedback loop. And that feedback loop is not necessarily a, a good one. And there's things like OCD and specifically harm OCD, which I had, which can keep bringing back these thoughts, but it's not necessarily the memory. It is some sort of feedback response mechanism that builds. And that just happens to have a negative tone. So it's a little bit more nuanced than memory on its own. But in terms of how that dopamine gets involved in the positive part of it, I don't necessarily know, but intuitively it kind of makes sense. If you have good memories and they are good, then you're going to have, you know, some sort of positive response neurochemically because our whole experience is, at least if you take the science story, all of our experience is mediated by the neurochemical bath that our consciousness swims in or, or is projected out of. So if it is happy, good chemicals, then it's going to influence the conscious experience. But if it's hampered by all kinds of positive and negative ions flowing through the neurons in really dark ways, then that conscious experience is, is going to be darker. So if we can get thoughts that are related to the positive thing, then we're probably going to have an effect on the positive production of the chemicals. But you've got other things too, sleep, diet, hydration, you know, it's, it's, it's not a, a one factored battle for sure. Yeah. I feel like everyone's always looking for that magic bullet or the one factor thing. You know, I'm all about aligning in every aspect of life, right? Well, that philosophy extends to hiring too. When it comes to finding the perfect fit for your business, sometimes the best approach is to stop the endless searching and start focusing on alignment. And that's where Indeed comes in. Indeed is like the matchmaker of the hiring world. With millions of job seekers visiting their platform every month, their powerful matching engine is designed to connect you with candidates who truly align with your needs and values. 
But here's the thing. Indeed isn't just about finding any old match. They're committed to delivering quality. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed provides the highest caliber of candidates compared to other job sites. And that's the kind of alignment I'm talking about. As a busy mom juggling episodes, clients, retreat planning, family life, I just don't have time to waste on a drawn out hiring process. And that's why I love Indeed because it streamlines everything from scheduling interviews to screening applicants and messaging potential hires all in one central hub. And the more you use Indeed, the smarter it gets. It learns from your preferences. With over 3.5 million businesses worldwide trusting Indeed to align them with top-notch talent, it's pretty clear that this platform is the real deal. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support my show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I need to get something off my chest. Sometimes I wake up feeling like I hate everything. Like this dark cloud is over my day and I look to the past and the future and everything feels tainted like this is how it's always been. Those types of days used to last months and now they're pretty few and far between and they rarely last more than a few hours, but it can still make me feel like a fraud. I'm sharing this because I know that we all carry around these things that make us feel different or less than, but if we keep them bottled up, the shame spirals and creates more problems than that initial thought. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's difficult finding friends or family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. Therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know. It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of you. BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online, so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. Yeah, I feel like everyone's always looking for that magic bullet or the one factor thing when everything is always a more holistic view of it. I also think that there's something to be said about putting a positive conscious effort or focus towards an area of your life and feeling better about it. And this is a silly example, but I'm getting older and recently I've been like, man, I'm feeling my age in my skin. (laughs) I just like haven't been super stoked on it. I'm like noticing wrinkles more when I'm getting ready in the morning. And finally I was like, well, I need, I need to get like a good skincare routine. I've totally been neglecting that since I had a baby. And so I bought a whole new face wash, toner, moisturizer, whatever. And I've been like really diligent. And within like two days, I was like, man, I look amazing. (laughs) And I was like, I don't think anything's changed. It's just that now I'm taking care of this part of my body rather than neglecting it. And so it's like with the neglect, then there also comes the guilt, which makes me feel even worse about my skin. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is because I wonder if that is also part of it where you're like, okay, I'm going to put this positive focus towards my mind, which by the way, is the whole inspiration of the name mind love of this podcast. I'm like, I want it just to be like that high vibrational energy that you put towards your mind. And so just in doing that, you start to feel better. Maybe it's that you're more in control or not so it's not like your mind is happening to you as much. (laughs) You're able to impact your mind with your efforts and that in turn makes you feel better about life or your mind in general. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, that's the holistic thing because you're now taking it out of your mind and putting it into movement. And, you know, Gary Halbert once said that movement is more important than meditation. And I, I think there's a lot of truth to that because sitting and ruminating is only going to create uh, issues. However, there is a potential different way of thinking about it. And there's some research into what we might call stoic methodology. So the stoics found great solace in imagining with great vigor, the worst possible outcomes, and then just letting themselves be at ease with that. You know, if that were to come, then 
I will also be peaceful. So I practice that a lot as well, which is to, you know, just imagine the, the worst possible diseases and myself being serene with it nonetheless, because I have a little bit of a hypochondriac tendency and that has been a great cure for that. And there's no action I can take because I don't have the, such a disease, you know, but by allowing myself to, to go through that worst possible outcome, it, it, it creates a, a, a bit of solace. And there's research too. Richard Weissman has uh, in a book called 59 seconds. It's not his research, but he cites it. And uh, people who are, very, very worried of, of, about death and so forth. One of the best exercises they can do is imagine what their friends will say at their funeral. And uh, that apparently creates great, great relief. But there's no specific action you can do other than the exercise. It, it, it is a purely sort of mental rumination. I need to revisit that. I remember learning that technique from like Tim Ferriss like a decade ago. <laughs> and uh, I was like, really? Just go to the darkest places of your mind? But I think it is helpful because... I think a lot of people's restlessness or just the feeling, just any negative feelings often come from that kind of lack of control. And if at least you've thought it out, then you have a little bit more of a mental plan than just like, again, life happening to you, things coming at you and being like, ah, the world is doomed and dark. Why am I having babies? <laughs> Whatever people tend to <laughs> default to. But that reminds me of meditation is a huge part of your memory techniques. Why is meditation so important for enhancing mindfulness and memory improvement? Well, there's a lot of reasons. And I would suggest that, I mean, I use the word meditation, but what I tend to mean is meditations. So it's not pinning it to sort of one kind of classic sitting and oming and all that sort of stuff, but rather a wide range of possible ways to meditate, like doing some Qigong or breathing, walking meditation, etc. There's a lot of very active meditations you can do. And part of why meditation is so powerful is it's a pattern interrupt. So, you know, you just mentioned uh, you're just being, you know, led around by random events coming in. Well, if you spend some time in an environment and a mental attitude that fortifies against the incoming randomness of the world, well, then you're going to develop skills that can help you do that when randomness comes in. Just let's have a point of focus and stick with that. So I've found for myself and with others, if they have a range of meditations, then they're even better at being able to bring everything down to a single point of focus, no matter how much chaos is going on, even if they are for a short time seduced by the chaos to react like a you know, crazy person, <laughs> they can see themselves doing that because they've spent time studying the nature of consciousness itself, which is another thing that meditation allows you to do. And when you start to see your consciousness, you can not be your consciousness and start to direct it, so to speak, and shape it as an artist would mold or craft clay or push oil paint around. That reminds me, you have kind of adapted a teaching from Sam Harris and made your own where you talk about becoming the storm. What does that really mean? Well, speaking of chaos and acting like a madman in response to stuff, I mean, that that was a great part of my life was just absolute insanity and not being able to cope and then dealing with the coping in a very, very poor way. So the storm was inside already, but it was one that was fighting against the external storms and just making absolute chaos. But my response initially was to try to control it, try to really, I mean, this almost, it sounds like I'm contradicting myself where I'm saying, you know, you can push your mood around as if it was paint. It's not that simple at the end of the day, because sometimes you do things and you're actually creating the war or you're stimulating the war and you're making it worse. You're basically calling the monster into being or making the monster bigger. But when you look at it a little bit differently and you see consciousness in a particular way, this isn't totally true, but you can imagine something like not just the ocean, but the entire world is appearing inside of you and it is witnessed by something that is also inside of you. And the very notion of you is witnessed by something. And that thing that is witnessing 
never changes. It's always the same. You can't cut it. You can't burn it. You can't do anything to it. it. It's just there and it's always there. And it's the thing that is you while you're asleep. And if you can somehow get access to that, then you will become everything because that thing that witnesses everything, it isn't witnessing it. It is it. And you are it. And everything is it. And so you just sort of resolve into it and you become the storm. And, you know, there's another quote there from, from Leonard Cohen who said something very simple. It's very similar, which is if, if you don't become the ocean, you'll be sick every day, which is what I was. But resolving into that has uh, basically resolved the issue most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> you also talk about the importance of letting go of frustration, especially when we're doing something like trying to enhance our memory. How does frustration hinder our memory and how do we actually consciously let go of it? Mm. Yeah, so that becomes very, very important in my little neck of the world because I not only teach memory techniques, but I teach the ancient and the medieval and the Renaissance memory techniques. And those people had more time on their hands than we do. And they used some really intricate and intense ways of memorizing things, which I think are, are very worth learning. But we don't have as much time as they did. So a lot of the people I teach, they try to force this and they try to do it overnight, and they try to put the cart ahead of the horse, and they get super frustrated because, I mean, I've studied these techniques for a very long time, and uh, I didn't learn them overnight myself. But I can still get frustrated if I go and you know put on some memory competition software and so forth and be like, I should be able to remember that. I've been doing this for so long. And you just have to uh, let that go and learn to, to see the mistake as the lesson, as the ultimate teacher. Because if you just get frustrated at it, you miss the lesson. You miss the observation. You miss the ability to see it as the science and the art and the craft that it is, which wants you to be able to take something from that quote-unquote failure and actually transform it into material that you can use and create a kind of metacognition around it where you become aware of the skill at a skillful level, so to speak. And then you learn more about it. And then the next time you do a lot better. I mean, I can give you an example where I was on a podcast and they actually came to my apartment to record the podcast. And they said, okay, memory boy, show us some stuff. So, and it's already <laughs> getting to be like five or six in the evening. And I was really stupid that day because I thought, oh, I, I'm not good in the afternoon, in the evening. So I had an extra coffee that day and uh, I go, okay, whatever. We lay out the deck of cards. And I go, okay, so basically what I'm doing, and I'm explaining what I'm doing while I memorize the cards. And then I say, now take the cards away and I'll tell you what they are. So we go through the whole deck. I get one mistake wrong. And for the next two days, I'm focused on the nine of hearts that I miscalled <laughs> and beating myself up like crazy. That's, you know, the way the mind works. I can't accept the A plus 99% <laughs> correct. I've got to focus on this one nine of hearts. And uh, you got to let that go because it, it can discourage you from ever memorizing a deck of cards in front of people ever again. Off of what? One mistake. So those are the kinds of, and I don't necessarily, you know, know how to unwind it as quickly as I would like. But I finally was like, wait a second, look at what your mind is doing to you. Obsessing over, <laughs> over an A plus, you know. It's it's just crazy. It reminds me of just flow in general. It's like I play the piano. I don't play it as well as I used to, and I'm kind of trying to get back into it, so I've been practicing more. Uh, and it's like I have this point. There's these certain songs that I still know from when I played all the time when I was younger. And when I play those songs, it's like I get lost in them. And the moment that... Like I'll make a little mistake, like my pinky will touch two keys or something. And then all of a sudden I'm frustrated. And then I can't remember how to play the rest of the song because it's just in my memory. Like it's the, some of those older songs are so ingrained in that I can't, it's not even easier if I look at sheet music. I don't even remember what the sheet music looks like. It's just my hands just start playing. And so the moment that I start judging or even thinking too hard, like, oh, now people are watching. I can't mess up at all. I'll just not remember those songs at all. <laughs> and it's just yeah. so interesting. And so it's like trying to get back into flow, but the moment that you actually start trying is when you tend to lose it. Yeah, yeah. It's, 
it's strange how it works. I'll never forget. I was on tour with a band one time. I played bass in a band and Tito, the drummer, he told me one night after the show, he was like, what happened in Empire? It was one of the songs. He said, it looked like you made a wrong note there. And I said, oh yeah, I'm sorry. I guess I did. And so forth. And he said, well, the wrong note isn't the problem. It's that you looked like you made a mistake. And <laughs> <laughs> he said, you know, you're going to make mistakes. Just don't look like you made a mistake, which is, I think, really uh, telling because you know, if you ever go on IMDb, the internet movie database, and they always have the, the blooper section and they show all the mistakes. I always look at that and I go, I didn't notice that they, you know, the color of the car changed or he had something in his right pocket at one scene. And then all of a sudden it was in his left pocket because, you know, somehow the, the continuity editor missed that. I didn't notice that at all. Yet there, you know, there are endless, countless mistakes, movies. And yet, you know, they're only a mistake if they look like a mistake or you're looking for them sort of thing. And that was a great lesson that he taught me. And I've also been a magician for a long time. And even when I did that podcast, I flew past it. I just sort of was like, yeah, okay, sorry, I got that wrong. And just went and finished the demonstration and sort of didn't dwell on it. Internally, I did. But when I've done a lot of those things, just in magic, just keep going, keep flowing, get back into it any way that you can, because there's a zillion other ways to do the same trick and to create a similar illusion that's going to be good enough because people really aren't paying attention. It's really our internal minds that end up blowing things. So if you can get back into that flow, it's it's really great, but you can't always do it. And sometimes you will blow a song and the rest of the song is blown because your mind just gets focused on it. And then I guess the best strategy is just to own it. (laughs) What else are you going to do? That reminds me of, I came across, it was either a website or an Instagram account. And the whole purpose was just to highlight movies where somebody's holding a cup and pretending something's in it. And it's, there's clearly nothing in it. And you can tell by the way they wave it around. It seriously ruined cups for me in movies forever. (laughs) It's almost every time somebody's holding a cup, I'm like, just put a little bit of water in that coffee mug just so you don't look so fake. But uh, it also... It it reminds me of something, I believe it was like Tom Brady who said, some famous athlete, probably giving him credit and it wasn't even him, but something along the lines of like, you know, the best athletes or the best, the most elite players forget their mistakes immediately so that they can go on to the next play and not be bogged down by that. So it's something that I try to, I try to remember to forget my failures, (laughs) but again, there comes the try. So Getting into your magnetic memory method, what is it exactly and how does it work? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Getting into your magnetic memory method, what is it exactly and how does it work? Well, it's based on the principle that magnets stick in place. So if you have concert tickets and you want to remember them, you stick them on the fridge and that's where they are when you need them later. But magnets also have another special principle, which is that they repel. And so speaking of focus and getting relaxed and being in flow, the idea is, is we put the information in our minds, and then it's there when we need it. But while we're doing it, we're much less distracted by monkey mind and this isn't going to work and this is too hard and all the head trash because we're able to repel it. So that's the core of the method. And then the rest of it is historically driven by the question, how did people carry entire books in their minds when they couldn't carry them on their backs? And what can we learn from memory competitors who have done extraordinary things in the last 30 years of memory competition? And what can we learn from a little more than 100 years of dedicated memory science to make what the Renaissance and the medieval era and the Aboriginal ancient people did with memory techniques even better? And so far, so good. So 
it's a method that's particularly directed at people learning languages, passing exams, or if they just want to, you know, remember names better. Although it's, a, I get into things that are a little bit more heavy lifting than names, but at the same time, everything that you would ever want to memorize is a name for the thing that you want to memorize. And that's what the program is all about. So say somebody was trying to remember something as simple as names better. You just recommend that they have like a lot of post-its and put it up on their wall or, or what do you mean by having it easily accessible? Mm. Well, I think uh, here on uh, the Zoom, you have an M, but I think I saw your last name was Monty. Is that pronounced correctly? Yes. Yes. So when I saw that, I just placed it in a memory palace. And I actually thought about Monty Hall, who had a TV show, and that now is a location in in space. We tend to call that a memory palace or a mind palace, as Sherlock Holmes called it in the series. And that's now a, a, a spatial reference. And I can think to that when I want to, to think of a name. So if you just want to do that kind of thing, having a, as many references as you can, you can build them quite quickly. So when I do name demonstrations and we walk into a room, I use that room as a spatial link. So whenever Alan says his name over his shoulder, I will have like an Alan key floating and doing something. And if it's a Melissa, then I will probably think of a, a dear friend named Melissa and Maybe because she's beside Alan, let's say at an event, uh, or you were beside Alan, I would then have the the Alan key, you know, something be something that you use to interact with the image for the next person. If it's Haley, then the Alan key will be tightening up Haley's comet or something, and I'll remember all those names. And that's exactly what anybody could do. You could practice with your bookshelf. You go and you look at the names of the authors. Maybe you count. This shelf has ten books. And you say the first book, second book, et cetera, and you, you just imagine them spatially. And then you create some associations for the names of the authors specifically in that place. And then you think back, okay, so the first book was on the left side of the shelf. What was happening there? What associations did I place there? And then that will help you trigger back what that name was. That's just a sort of beginner level exercise. I'm reminded of Spanish in high school. <laughs> For some reason, the one like association that sticks out to me the most, I remember studying with a friend and one of the vocabulary words we were trying to remember was película, which is movie. And my friend was like, yeah, yeah. well, Pelican <laughs> Brief, that's a great mnemonic device for that. And I still to this day have never seen the Pelican Brief, but to this day... Pelican yeah. Brief, the movie, is what gets me to remember how to say <laughs> movie in Spanish. <laughs> so those mnemonic devices, man, they hold strong. But additionally, what I find really fascinating is that apparently research shows improving your memory intentionally can also boost your moods and potentially even ease depression. So when we're first talking about your magnetic memory method, we kind of talked about names or books what do you recommend people start with if they're like, yeah, I do want to improve my memory, but I don't necessarily, I'm not studying Spanish. I don't see a lot of people, <laughs> like where do they start in practicing these memory techniques? This is the great mystery and everybody's going to have a different answer. So there is no just one size fits all. And this has been one of the quote unquote battles that I've taken on in my own teaching, because most people who come to me, they know some memory training from something else. And usually those memory trainings say, let's memorize together this random list of words, pencil, chicken, etc." And I recommend try to personalize whatever that exercise is. So whatever memory training you wind up with, and I hope it's something, you know, when you come to this meaningless exercise, try to personalize it. So if you're learning Spanish, and it's a grocery list, make the grocery list in Spanish. So now it's personalized to you and some goal that you have or some dream or wish. And if that you know doesn't work, then just try to think and do a little exercise. What would change my life dramatically if I had it committed to memory two hours from now or tomorrow? So for some people, that might be the names of business associates. Like so many people come to me and they say, I don't even know who I work for, <laughs> you know, and um, it might 
make a big difference to them if they could next time they're walking down the hall and they see corporate Joe, they can actually say, Hey, Joe, how are you doing? You know, something that makes a difference that comes back to the dopamine spike thing. Do you really think you're going to get a huge dopamine spike if you get chicken eraser and stuff back from the memory exercise in the standard memory book? Probably you get a little bit and you might be pleasantly surprised, but it doesn't have this kind of like, Oh, wow. I now know the entire committee that, you know, uh, is somehow responsible for my pension. <laughs> you know, that's that's a bit of a bigger dopamine spike. Or wow, I'm at the grocery store and I know all of these fruits and vegetables in Spanish, I, or at least I have eighty percent of them. That to me is is a, a big boost. So I would recommend that either modify the exercises so they're personal to you. Which actually studies show in Active Recall, personalization is the key to remembering anything better. And so you're already ahead of the game if you if you just do that simple exercise. Or again, try to just figure, solve your own riddle. What would make my life instantly better? And memorize that. Everybody's got something. You had mentioned a memory palace, how you put it in a memory palace for these visualizations. Can you go deeper on what exactly a, a memory palace is and how it helps? Yes. So... This is one of these confusing terms because some people will call it a memory palace. They'll call it a mind palace, a journey method, rooms, a Roman room method, uh, apartments with compartments. I don't know. There's this is endless variations on the term. If I were to change it, it would be called location-based mnemonic because a mnemonic is just any strategy that helps you remember something better. And it's a location. So if I just in this room that I'm sitting in right now, I have memorized some some Sanskrit philosophy and I take the walls and the corners and I turn them into stations. And on station one, that's where I will place a particular piece of information in the memory palace. And that's the same thing as taking a bookshelf and the first book on the left is the first place. And actually the Roman tradition, which is the Roman room tradition, this is where we get in our speeches and the way we write our books, that thing in the first place, I will talk about whatever, or in the second instance, we would pay attention to this. That comes from how that they used what they called Roman rooms, which is just any room to memorize their speeches. And they would literally be telling their audiences in the first place, I will talk about yada, yada, yada. And that's because they're referring to the first place in their memory palace. They're mentally thinking about a location that may be 100 kilometers away while they're standing with you reciting their speech. And then when they get to the second place, they have moved to the second place in their, in their memory palace. I did this in my TEDx. I mean, I didn't say in the first place, in the second place, in the third place, but I was literally walking through a memory palace as I was reciting the TEDx talk. I took this really intensive public speaking program, totally life-changing. It was like six months long. And that was one of the things that they taught us to do too. They taught us how really good public speakers actually have their material memorized, whether you realize it or not. And so they it's just a lot more polished. Like when you see people up on stage, and you're like, oh my God, they're amazing at this. Most of it isn't just this natural ability to stand on stage. Sometimes it is. But a lot of times it's hundreds of hours of practice that went into this. But they go into blocking and staging and the the whole idea is like how your movement on stage goes with what you're saying. And so you learn to like move in a way that actually supports the words that you're saying. And so it makes it though, once you actually learn to block and stage, it makes it so much easier to learn what you're saying because you know you move right when you're talking about something or you move downstage when you're talking about something from the past and upstage. And so you almost talk about different times of your life it could be at different parts of the stage. So it's like, oh yeah, I'm moving over here. So that reminds me to go into this part of the speech. And that that's kind of similar to what you're saying, only it's where you're talking about memory palace, where you're kind of placing these memories in parts of the room. You can use that in the public speaking setting by actually moving to parts of the stage to recall that memory. Absolutely. That's, it's, it's a variation on the same concept. And again, to the proliferation of terms, memory theater is another possible term. Robert Flood talked about that in his Renaissance era memory trainings, and he used drawings of theaters to help teach people this technique. And yeah, I mean, it's an art at the end of the day. 
And it's just as diverse as going to learn oil painting. There's so many ways to use oil paints, just as there is so many ways to use spatial memory or location-based mnemonics or a memory palace, however you want to call it. It's just, it is, I'm sure I will spend the rest of my life doing it. It's already, it's already been so long. I don't know why I wouldn't, but I, I will never, ever even scratch the surface of what's possible with this technique. You also talk about creating a memory journal. Is that just a journal where you write down your memories or does it somehow help you practice enhancing your memory? You also talk about creating a memory journal. Is that just a journal where you write down your memories or does it somehow help you practice enhancing your memory? I'm glad you asked that because there's a funny story to this. I'm Canadian and you know, in Canada, we have bilingual uh, culture, more or less. It's not as strong as, as it seems, but nonetheless, cahier is journal. And so I just mean notebook. <laughs> so it, 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 I guess it takes on in the mind some, some larger property than it has, but I just mean a notebook for your memory activities where you will, you will draw memory palaces to help chart them out strategically because you know, as wonderful as this technique is, and diverse as it is in many ways to use it, I teach one way to use it. And I help people actually create highly efficient and effective memory palaces by charting them out in a particular way so they don't have just a mess of potential. They have a very specific plan to follow. So we do that in a memory journal. And I haven't yet changed it to memory notebook, but that word journal seems to have created many, many possible ways of thinking about it. But I really just mean a standard notebook. And so when you're talking about using a notebook to enhance this, you said with a memory palace, say you see John Smith coming at you and you're trying to remember his name. So you picture, I don't know, who's a famous John Smith, Pocahontas on his <laughs> corner or something. And so you do you mean actually like, okay, so these are the visualizations that I'm coming up with this person in person. And then you jot those down in a notebook as well so that, you can refresh and and come back to it? Oh, no, no. If John Smith comes, I'm going to think about John Hurt, who played Winston Smith in the movie 1984. And that image will be placed above his body wherever I meet him. That will be the memory palace. So the use of the journal is training and it's testing. It's You can, if you you go and you meet a bunch of people, you can write them down in your journal. And that's a good thing to do. But I'm not saying, you know, meet a person and pull out a piece of paper and write down their name. We do this mentally uh, because we want to be able to memorize in real time. The spatial element is just linking it somewhere in space. So a lot of memory teachers, they would say whatever image Pocahontas or what have you that you would use. For a name like John Smith, now I'm getting confused. I used Winston Smith and John Hurt. So you said John Smith, I think. Um, (laughs) You would just place that image somewhere. And most memory books say to put it on the face. And I have done that to a certain extent sometime. You put your association on the person's face. But I found that really uncomfortable to be looking at people and imagining something happening on their face. So I started to place it above their heads. And later when I go home, when I, before the, all the walk down stuff, I used to do a lot of public demonstrations and I would go home and I would write down their names from memory after I did the demonstration, just to be more communal because I, w- I often do run into those people again and I want to remember their name for the long term. But I write it down not to store it. I write it down as another exercise in getting it into long-term memory. And then I may go and test myself later and at least I'll have a record. But another thing I'll do is just collect the business cards and keep those business cards together for that meeting. And then I will test myself sometimes two years later and I'll write down the names and then I'll check them against the stack of business cards to see how accurate I was. And usually I'm 100% or maybe 99%. Uh, Katrina Ocean, I couldn't get back from my mind one time. And uh, you know I beat myself up a little bit about it. But then I just turned it into a training and shared it. You know, two years went past and I got one name wrong. Big deal. Here's how I re-memorized it. What if somebody needs to memorize a, a lot of information fast? What tips do you have for that? Well, 
preparation is a, a real good benefit. So really get into memory training as soon as you can so that you are prepared and there'll be no ceiling when the opportunity comes. But if you can't prepare and you have to memorize a lot of stuff really quickly, then I would suggest just getting some sort of preliminary video from YouTube about creating a memory palace and try to find one that is, is as regimented as possible so that you're following particular principles. Like for example, a lot of memory trainings, they teach you to start at the door of your memory palace and move your way in. That's not going to help if you have a lot to memorize because you're going to lead yourself into a dead end. The house ends. So I teach to reverse it. Start at the dead end, then move out so that you can use the driveway later and the street and the rest of the city. So just get a memory palace together. This is not rocket science. It should take about five to 10 minutes. And if you're thinking the first time, oh my goodness, you know, I've never done this before. Just try to shut that stuff off. Maybe think of happy memories to get some dopamine going and um, breathe and just do it. Then take the first part of the information and start to think of an association and place it in that first area and then keep going and then try to revisit it and see if that gets you going. And I, I think it, it again comes back to preparation, but I would just get started with this as soon as possible because then you have the next time and the next time and the next time. But panic memorization, I ultimately don't necessarily know. I would just try to avoid those situations uh, above all. And I've, I've never been in that sort of situation, except for with my TEDx, but I was, I was prepared with the memory technique. And what happened with that is my gut said, don't give this talk that you've prepared and memorized. So I was already in Melbourne and I just thought, well, what the heck am I supposed to do? But my gut was just, don't do it, don't do it. And it was just some namby-pamby talk about, you know, uh, how I was doing okay in my internet business or whatever. And so I just pulled the first page and the last page out of the victorious mind and I memorized that. And then I gave that speech. They wound up flagging it because uh, I I changed the topic and so forth, but whatever, they still released it. But I memorized it very, very quickly. And it's because I had these techniques. So yeah, that's my message. Just be prepared like a samurai who's able to execute any last move, even with your head cut off. You don't have to worry about it. You'll be able to memorize it. Yeah, when I think panic memorization, I just think of all of high school and college and how I remembered right. none of the things that I panic memorized. I, I knew them for the test and never again after that. But another thing that you teach is the benefits of memorizing self-inquiry questions. How does that help us? Well, self-inquiry is, you know, earlier when I was saying some stuff that sounds probably like mumbo jumbo where like the witness and everything, you are that and all Oh, no, all no. This podcast, <laughs> we talk about that all the time. <laughs> okay, okay good, good. So I wasn't just totally off in, uh, in woo-woo land. But um, <laughs> self-inquiry is a means of helping yourself realize that there is no self- <laughs> there, right? And you do it by asking certain questions like, who am I? Or where am I even? Where is this idea of the self? What is my body? Where did I ever get the idea that a body is real? Like these kinds of questions are questions that I memorize. I memorize them in Sanskrit, but or I memorize texts that suggest those questions in Sanskrit, better said. And they're really, really powerful. And there's endless variations on them, but they all start with the sort of thing questions that are, what is this? What am I? Where am I? Who am I? And they're all directed at the answer, which is, it's all just an illusion. I mean, one of the Sanskrit things I memorized says that a real thought is as rare as a rabbit's horn. When I say that back to myself, it, it often makes me chuckle because that's that's exactly right. Thoughts are, are really not real. And uh, the, these questions help you to start to not just realize it, not just to understand it, but to actually experience the illusory nature of thought and then neutralize it so it doesn't bother you so much, if at all. Well, I know I have a lot of things to work on this week, <laughs> things to practice. Um, if people, if you were to give somebody, our listeners, one activity to kind of focus on this week to improve their memory, what homework would you give them? Well, again, it would be this idea of what would really, really change my life and then commit, commit to that and, and, and actually memorize it. Memorize it in whichever way that you feel drawn to. There's many possible things. I mean, I wouldn't recommend rote learning because rote learning, there's some studies that show that it reduces critical thinking. But you know, even that can be worth 
exploring just to just to get something memorized, something powerful and positive that legitimately will make your life better. And you know that it will. And it doesn't have to be some epic thing, but just just better, uh, demonstrably better and memorize that. And if you want to explore just a really simple way of doing this, try using your hand as a memory palace and try to just you put your thumb and your forefinger together and think deeply about one simple thing you want to memorize. Maybe it's, you know, pellicula or pelli for movies. Um, and you just start to think of a pelican on, on that area between your thumb and your finger. And then you move to the, your thumb and your middle finger and you memorize something else. And you use that location and, and, and just something small and you try to, try to think about it. And you move through all your fingers. And this, this simple hand memory palace is a little bit of a journey and you can just move from your pointer finger to your middle finger to your ring finger to your pinky finger and just recite those things. And it, this is a, a mudra that many spiritual traditions sort of use. And they also use it to memorize certain practices like Kirtan Kriya. So you have Satanama, which is a, a meditative practice. And, you know, I'd be good at these memory techniques, but I have a t- terrible memory, which is why I use them. And when I learned Satanama, I did exactly this. I just put Sa and I, I thought, what can I put there? And I had a saw on the bridge between my thumb and my pointer finger. And I saw that saw there to remind, remind me of saw. And then Ta, I know a bass player named Tal Wilkinson. So I put her there between the thumb and the middle finger and so on. And Satanama, and it's just a nice little thing to memorize and then to, to work with in a meditation. And it's called Kirtankriya, Satanama. And you use your fingers in exactly that way and it can help you. And, and it, studies have shown that just that, Kirtankriya, produce better memory, better concentration and focus and mental peace. So that's what I would recommend as a nice little starter exercise. Well, thank you so much for all of the wisdom that you shared around this topic. I know for me, I don't know why, I've recently realized that one of my biggest fears is <laughs> is having Alzheimer's. I'm like, oh my God, if that ever happens to me, I don't know what, what will happen, which probably means I need to go back to the beginning of this podcast and go down the worst scenario path <laughs> to have a little plan. But anyways, uh, lately, for some reason, maybe it's... Maybe it's aging, approaching 40 slowly but steadily that just my memory has been more of a focus. So thank you for everything that you've brought to this. And for listeners that are interested in learning more about you and your techniques, where's the best place to connect with you and find your book? Well, uh, to the Alzheimer's thing, thanks for sharing that. And I'd just say briefly that thinking through that is is worthwhile. I have that fear too. My mom had early onset cognitive decline and you know, there's actions you can take and she was able to reverse it. So she's been doing quite well ever since. And these techniques are a good shot at fending off things like dementia and Alzheimer's. So, uh, you know, to everybody, please consider investing your time into learning these techniques because they help. And if I can help, just visit me at magneticmemorymethod.com or otherwise, I think if you just search Anthony and memory, if magneticmemorymethod.com is, is, is too much, I think I show up because you know, Google is your friend. (laughs) All the links for this episode are at mindlove.com slash 237, including a link for something that's going to help you in this week's challenge. So your challenge for this week is to first figure out something in your life that would be better if you had it memorized. And this can be anything that you feel like would improve your life from something like your bank account number or your most used card number, if you don't have your social or your driver's license number memorized, you're falling behind, so you should probably focus on those first. Or if you are a professional, maybe it's something related to your field. For me personally, it's anything that comes back to self-development, philosophy, psychology, Any of those terms, techniques, even quotes that I can memorize helps me in my job. It helps me host this show. It helps me appear more knowledgeable in conversation. And those types of things can be really helpful in me moving forward and getting ahead in my life. So that might be where I start. Or maybe I'll start with my new debit card because (laughs) I hate not having those memorized. But once you have the thing, the thing that you are actually motivated to learn more about and to really instill in your mind, then you're going to create your memory palace to help you actually learn this information. 
I am linking to step-by-step instructions in the show notes. So right under links from the episode, you'll see a link that says how to create your memory palace. It's kind of funny because when I was younger, I started to learn all sorts of techniques for improving memory. My dad had gotten me some memorization books on tape. (laughs) And so I was learning about mnemonic devices and associations, but it seems like the older I get, that's one of those skills that seems to just take a back seat. Like, oh yeah, I almost forgot that I actually do have power there. And that's really what it comes down to in all areas of our lives. We get on autopilot. We start just doing things, barely conscious of them. We forget that we have the power to change or improve or even reinvent certain areas of our lives completely. Well, not anymore. That is what mind love is for. (laughs) It's all about the power of the mind and creating an intentional life. So let me know how it goes. I want to know what you are memorizing. So leave a comment right on the show notes page at mindlove.com slash 237 or reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. If you'd love to support the show, please consider joining Mind Love Premium at mindlove.com slash premium. You get early release episodes, meditations and other bonuses, and an ad-free listening experience. So that's at mindlove.com slash premium or right there in the Apple Podcasts app. You can also support one of my amazing sponsors. You can find all of those at mindlove.com slash sponsors. Or finally, the freest way to support the show is by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you do, I just might read your review on the show and carry your energy with me the entire week because that's how much I will love you. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 